frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Don't you understand, George? It's because you were not born. Film church. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. 30 years of pounding beats and riding cars. 30 years of dirt and crummy pay. For 30 years, I gave my life to this department. And you allow this foreigner to accuse me? Answer, answer. Why do I have to answer him? No, sir. I won't take back that badge until the people of this county want me back. Hello, and welcome to Film Church Radio. This is the podcast that treats cinema as a religion. It's Sunday. I'm Lewis. And I'm Brandon. And we are here to talk about movies. Each week, Brandon and I alternate picking a film for us both to watch and discuss. This week, we are continuing our deep dive into the shadowy world of film noir. And I picked the 1958 film Touch of Evil, written, directed, and starring Orson Welles. The film also stars Charlton Heston, Janet Leigh, Zazar Gabor, and Marlena Dietrich. Um, this is a film that I have had on my watch list and my shelf for many, many years. Um, for some reason, I've just never got around to putting it in the DVD player um, and watching it. So this is this was the perfect opportunity for me to, to get it down and, and to watch it. I think that Orson Welles is definitely someone who intrigues me. And I don't think I've been that well acquainted with him in the past. Um, so any any opportunity to sit down and and kind of and see the genius at work is uh, is much needed. So I'm glad that we had this chance to watch it together. Um, this was Brandon and I's first watch. Um, as we'll get into it a little bit when we um, get into the main film, I think we've both had um, crossings with it in the past where maybe we've seen a little bit but not watched the whole thing. So I'm excited to um, to know what Brandon thought about it and to get into it in its entirety. Um, before we do, though, we would like to say thank you to everyone who's been listening to the podcast um, and sending their love for the show. We recently hit 50 episodes, which is an incredible milestone. Um, and next week will be a full year since we've been putting out episodes continuously, um, which, is, which, is, which is great. I mean, we are both thrilled that we... We're keeping it up and getting, you know, people listening to it is is wonderful. So thank you to everyone who's listening. Um, go ahead and subscribe and make sure that, you know, you get notified when new episodes drop. Hint, it's on a Sunday. Um, and also leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. It really helps spread the word. Um, even if it's just a star rating, you don't need to write anything if you don't feel inclined. Um, just a star rating would be wonderful, just so other people can see it. Uh, join the congregation that's what we'd love to see um we also are all on all social media platforms at film church radio where you can see what we're posting recently i put out a, a top 10 on twitter of some film noirs that are no that are, um noteworthy and should really be watched this november so go ahead and check that out and let us know what you think and if there's any that i missed which i'm sure there will be quite a few um we also post some extra content on our youtube channel um, so you can go ahead and watch that. There's some videos that we've done um, on the Obi-Wan Kenobi series and with uh, any of the live episodes that we did with um, 
with our filmmaker friends. We like to record those and put them up on YouTube so you can see our faces while we talk about movies as well. So go ahead and check that out. Now we've got that part out of the way, Brennan and I like to talk about what else we've been watching this week. Um, it's kind of like the trailers before the main feature. Um, so Brandon, talk to us. What have you been watching this week? Well, I have rewatched Inglorious Bastards from 2009. Uh, five out of five movie for me. Such like fond memories of watching that in the theater. Um, it came out the year a year a year into my um, first job of working at a movie theater. And it was the first film that we ever got on 35 millimeter print. And by 2009 in our little town of Nacogdoches, Texas, all of the film projectionists had already been gone for like three years because the theater I worked for, which was Carmike Cinemas, um, completely went digital in like 2006 hmm. which is which they were like one of the first to do it all digital projectors um which pushed out a lot of the film projectionists that worked for them and then yeah by three years later nobody knew how to <laughs> knew how to thread a 35 millimeter print so we had oh this uh kid from the town over show us like one time and um yeah, those first few showings of Inglorious Bastards were were rough to say well, the least, yeah. but but I still have very fond memories of like getting to like figure that out for the first time. Yeah. By the by the end of the run, I was an expert. Yeah. Maybe not completely, but I <laughs> you know, I could thread it through properly without the voices sounding like demons. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um and uh I, I decided to rewatch it because um, I got to go see Quentin Tarantino live yeah. in person last Saturday, um, and because uh, he's got his book out, Cinema Speculation. Um, so I decided to go speculate him in person, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he was in Austin, so that's only a, you know a couple hours from me. Yeah. So I was able to just like go for the evening and drive back after the show and it was kind of surreal, you know, bet, seeing him yeah. in person. Uh we had to put our phones in pouches um that were like locked up so we couldn't, you know, have them out or take pictures or anything or record or anything like that. Um and uh the weirdest part of the, about that was just not knowing what time it was cuz I think we yeah. got there like when the the doors open, which was at seven and they, he came on at eight. But just for that whole hour, it was just like, what time is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, but then, yeah, when he finally came out, it was just like, wow, like there he is. This is weird. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's mm -hmm. like, um, you know, I imagine it's the same for anybody who like goes to see a band that they love, you know? Yeah did they finally get to see in person, you know, for the first time? Um, yeah, it was just, you know, I mean, just as a filmmaker, it's like, I, I think I've also reached this point in my life where, um, you know, I, I, I'm a little more grounded 
I think, than I was in my twenties. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, realizing that people, you know, celebrities are just people, you know, and like seeing them in person kind of helps you realize that they're not just like some weird, like storybook character that you just imagine, you know, is your friend or something. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, and, um, yeah, it was, it was just, it was a really cool experience. Basically he just answered a bunch of questions, um, about his process of writing this book. Um, and his childhood, because it's, it kind of, the book is, is, uh, basically about all the movies he saw as a kid, you know, his first, you know, basically, I think, um, from like six to 18 years old or something like that. I've only read the first chapter and then, um, he, they, there was an intermission and then the last half of the show, he, uh, read the last chapter of the book. And kind of like walked around the stage and very animated, yeah. In an animated, fat, yeah. yeah, yeah. Kind of like almost doing, you know, his own version of stand up, reading from the book, uh, which was cool. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. That's awesome. So, um, yeah. Sorry. Was there any revelations from it? Was there anything that he said that kind of that struck home for you? Um, not not particularly. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I think just learning more about his life and childhood, uh, you know, just kind of it, it makes more sense now, you know, kind of yeah. the films that he made and, and has been interested in and stuff. Um, there was uh, the last chapter of the book that he reads out loud. He's talking about this kind of adult friend that he had. Uh that he would hang out with a lot Mm. and um, found out that this guy had an ambition to be a screenwriter and he had like wrote a couple of screenplays and his, uh, his screenplays were like the first screenplays that he wrote. And he read those when he was like 16 or so, I think. And, um, but I think it's just interesting, you know, it's interesting like knowing how long it actually took him to get going. Cause yeah. you know, you, like he was 16 when that, when he read that and then didn't write his own, uh, screenplay for several years after that. But even before he had like written a feature length screenplay, he like tried to make this movie, my best friend's birthday, which I've also been, I've, I've been listening to a, a recent, um, podcast um that our friend zach sent us uh i'm trying to think of the guy's name but it's the guy that wrote the rounders he does an interview with tarantino and he kind of talks about uh this period in his life where he he spent three years trying to make this movie on 16 millimeter film and every you know he would save up money for three months and then shoot some stuff and then you know basically put it on the table for the next three months till he could save enough money to shoot again. So he shoots this movie for three years. And by the end of it, he takes a look at the footage he has and it's terrible. He hates it. Like nothing's good about it. And, um, he said he gave himself two weeks to feel sorry for himself. And then at the end of the two weeks, he took, took a look at it again and was like, yeah, it kind of sucks. But this stuff that here, that's, uh, that I shot within the last year isn't terrible. 
So I guess yeah. I could kind of look at this as like a film school. It's like taught me how to be a better filmmaker and, and make a movie. He's like, I'm going to try to write a really good screenplay and get more money. And then um, like get real money to make a movie. Um, yeah. And he spent, he, so then he wrote True Romance and it, he spent the next five years trying to get that made. Which yeah. is just crazy. Like you think about yeah. the time that he started making this film, three years plus another five years. Um, it's just you know kind of encouraging to see somebody yeah. just like not give up. Yeah. Like no, that I I've got this is what I'm supposed to do. I've got something good. Um. You know, it's really hard to believe in yourself when you're like the only one that believes in yourself. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Like he even talks about this one point in his childhood when he he was um, writing like short scripts and stuff when he was in high in high school, and his mom was like, uh, "This little script writing thing that you're doing, like that's over," and like he he was just in his head he was like, "Okay, you're never gonna see a dime like for my yeah. success," yeah. and apparently to this day he's like never bought his mom a house or anything like that, which is just so like, that's a little extreme. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even the guy that was interviewing him was just like, you know, I think you can uh, buy your mom a house now. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But you know, it's like just that drive, you know, I think is inspiring. It's like, um, but also just, you know, like the process of becoming a filmmaker is a process of, of like finding your own voice. Yeah. You know, and, and it was cool like seeing Tarantino in person. And, you know, for one, because he's, you know, I've been a fan of his for so long, but also just to be like, you know, I'm not going to be Tarantino and I don't want to be. You know? Yeah. I want to yeah. express myself, you know, find my yeah. own voice. Um, and I think that was kind of the main the main thing I took out of it was, um, what weirdly enough was being like I don't want to be this guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, that's cool though. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, I still like think he's incredible as a filmmaker, yeah. but yeah, just yeah. realizing like, yeah, Tarantino's Tarantino. I'm not Tarantino. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, I can't wait That's to finish cool. the book. It's really good so far. The nice thing about it is like so far is it like he talks about so many movies, but he kind of tells you like also these don't hold up and they're not worth watching. So I don't yeah. feel bad about like not actually watching the movies and I can just enjoy the book and kind of you know, see his thought process and like his journey of of becoming a filmmaker because I mean, we talked about last week, we talked about Robert Rodriguez a lot and how much I love, um, El Mariachi and his, mm-hmm. his book rebel without a crew. And so far, I think this is kind of like his rebel without a crew almost. Yeah. You know, cause it's, it's, it's kind of about him without it really being about him. If that makes yeah. sense. No, you it know, does. It's like his, yeah. his own story. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, so my Christmas wish list this year. Yes. His book. I'm excited to read it. Yeah, man. I can't wait for you, yeah. you to read it, us to talk about it. Yeah. Um, but after I watched Inglorious Bastards, I, um, I've i also been thinking about World War II a lot lately and how much I yeah. don't know about it. And, mm. you know, I never had like a formal 
education like history education yeah um and i'm 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 kind of going back now and trying to to understand how my country is in the place it is today <laughs> yeah and yeah. uh and so and, and film is also a good way to to kind of learn things sometimes because you know artists are expressing uh their take on on an issue and then you can go back and like read the read what actually happened and kind of like put things together um obviously inglorious bastards is not a a factual film yeah and uh and so i decided to go back and watch the great dictator the charlie chaplin film from 1940 that was made like right after the start of world war ii but before like the holocaust had happened and stuff um you know, because I've heard a lot about the film. You know, I, I kind of yeah. knew that it was a very, uh, you know, politically charged film. And, like, it, you know, it wasn't received well for a long time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, man, it was just so good. It was just, like, it yeah. was crazy. Because I, I, like, I kind of, I started watching it and would get, like, 10 or 15 minutes into it. And then I'd, like, start watching some YouTube videos on it, like quick history of like world yeah. war two just basically like this happened and this happened you know and started trying to kind of put together okay this was 1940 what was actually going on you know what happened the years after um and it was yeah it was a great way to kind of uh learn some more history but also just like oh my god like the great dictator is so good like and yeah. it's crazy that it's it's crazy that he you know was that bold, but also somehow like made it just his normal, like, you know, his yeah Charlie Chaplin way, like goofiness and funny and, you know, uh, somewhat slapsticky, I guess. And mm -hmm. like, um, but then to just like be so deep at the same time and expressive and, and, uh, and trying to create something that would get people to understand what was really going on. Yeah, and that we, you know, just need to like be good people and help each other out, and like, um, yeah, I think it's one that I'm gonna have to watch a few more times for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. So that was that. Yeah, I mean, there's I not mean, much to say that hasn't already been said by yourself yeah. about the Great Dictator. It's, it's just phenomenal. You know, yeah. it's it's so in tune and aware of what's going on before America were like, you know, because the, the whole reason that you were saying that people didn't, or that it wasn't, you know, well received at the time was because America was like, hey, don't annoy anyone. Like, yeah, it's, not, it's mean, not for us to get involved. And Chaplin was like, how, like, how can you not? Yeah. You know, this guy is literally going to try and take over the world. Yeah. Um, um, if If you are interested in like, World War Two and kind of how the German, especially the German film industry, reacts to the rise of Nazism. There's a really great podcast called The Haunted Screen. Um, I think there's only six episodes at the moment. His, yeah, there's only six episodes, and that's like the end of the first season. But it starts pretty much at the end of the First World War, and it focuses on either a film or a filmmaker each episode and kind of like charts the rise to like the beginning of World War Two. Interesting. I just absolutely devoured it. Um, yeah, it's it's amazing. So, if anyone's interested in knowing how cinema reacted to 
um, certain political <laughs> and world events from lead up to World War Two. Listen to the haunted screen. Yeah, and and I was talking to Sarah about this film too, you know, because I was like, you know, saying that it wasn't well received when it first came out, and I was like, you know, America was not on board with uh, demonizing Hitler yet. Like he was no. on the cover of Time magazine in 1938, two years before this, as Person of the Year. Yeah, which is just like what, yeah. you yeah. know? Yeah. Um. Anyway, history is crazy. Yeah. Um, Learn from it. Yeah. Um, what other historically significant film have you been watching this week, Brandon? None. <laughs> I did put. I did put. Uh, <laughs> I did put uh, Schindler's List on my watch mm. list, which I've never seen. Um, yeah. I know, crazy. But I, I did put that on my list, like right after. So I'm gonna watch that soon. But uh, I did go to Film Church. I went to the cinema. <gasps> And um, saw a movie, and I gave it three stars. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, it wasn't terrible. I went and saw Black Adam, um, and, uh, you know, it's like if this movie had come out 20 years ago, it would have been amazing. But Mm -hmm. it's just like, it's just another superhero movie, you know? It's like the action was really good. You know, I had a good time watching it. You know, it it, it did all the things superhero movies do, but it's like, yeah. it's just a superhero. Like it didn't, you know, it was fine. It yeah. wasn't as bad as I expected, and it didn't, you know, it it entertained me, and you know, didn't. Yeah, I don't know. It was fine. Did its thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, what have you been watching? <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so a few things. So the, I want to preface. So I watched Blonde, um, the Netflix um, film that kind of got a bit of a theatrical release and got a lot of talk. Um, yeah. Me and you had been talking about it recently. I think it came up that we haven't been watching a lot of like the Netflix original stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, so it, it came to like, you know, one night and we had a few hours and I was like, okay, I'm, let's watch Blonde. Um, and I do want to preface that A, um, I, I I used to be a really big fan of Marilyn Monroe. I watched a lot of her films and kind of really um, found her story really interesting. Yeah. Um, which I've come away from in recent years. You know, I do dip back in every now and again, like some like it hot and stuff like that. But I wouldn't say I'm like, a, you know, a huge fan. I wouldn't, you know, necessarily seek her films out above anything else. Um, but I am a fan and I do know her story pretty well. And I have read a lot of reviews and listened to a lot of stuff that was saying, um, you know, it's it's a fictional kind of take on her life, you know, totally understood that. There's a lot of stuff in there. Um, you haven't got to look at it as a Marilyn Monroe biography. You've got to, like, biopic, sorry, you got to look at it as a story about trauma. And I was like, cool. Like, went in with it. Like, all those expectations, I wasn't expecting anything. Um, and I absolutely hated it. Um, it's, like, three hours long, and it is honestly just a woman getting physically and mentally abused for three hours. Yeah. And... At the end of it, I was like, I just like I just can't watch this anymore. Yeah. You know, I was so thankful when the credits rolled. Because it is it is nearly three hours. Um and it, it is just relentless. It's just com- like totally unneeded. You know, there's not even one bit in there that's kind of that adds any, I don't know, light to this film. Yeah. Um and yeah, there's you know, and it's not 
historically accurate, that's fine. You know, you can have um, artistic, you know, license and kind of do whatever you want. But I just felt that to know Marilyn, you know, and to kind of understand who she was as a person, this film is just doing exactly what every single other person did and just used her to sell it. It's just yeah. like, you know, oh, it's it's Marilyn and people, you know, so people will go and see it and it's and it's just, it's dreadful. I hated it. Yeah. And then after it, I read a, a couple of reviews again because I was like, I want to see if there's anything I missed, like if there was something in there that like really I should have been paying attention to that I just wasn't for whatever reason. And the director said something along the lines of in the Science Sound interview, does anybody even watch Marilyn Monroe films anymore? And I was like, okay. I'm done with this completely. You know, I'm like, like he was saying that like people don't understand it because they don't watch Marilyn Monroe films anymore. Or no, just like nobody watches Marilyn Monroe films. So why would I be like? Why would I try and kind of portray that? Explain them. Yeah. Oh, okay. And I was Hmm. like, okay, you just. I don't think that's true. You know, because if people, if that's just kind of disregarding a whole. You know, anything before like the last 20 years is so, not relevant anymore. Yeah. So what kind of what you're saying is just that this is like just a completely fictional, like this is a film for people who have never seen a Marilyn Monroe film, maybe. Or I don't know if it's even a film for anybody, but. I guess, I mean, my sister tried to watch it as well and she's not, you know, she's, I don't think she's seen a Marilyn Monroe film. And I think she only sat through like 40 minutes and she was like, I can't watch anymore. Yeah. You know, and I know that people did find things in there that are good and like enjoyed it and stuff. But to me, it's just like, it's just mean and gross. And I didn't like it at all. Yeah. Um, um, our friend Jason Woods liked it. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that. You can, uh, go read his review on letterboxd and go find him. Um, I will. I mean, it's, <laughs> it sounded ominous, short. but yeah, I was, I was <laughs> kind of, yeah, he didn't say much, but he gave it four out of five. Said yeah. That, um, Anna D. Armas needs all the awards. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I might still watch it. I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, fine. there's so I mean, much stuff I, I need that, to watch like, still. I know. And I know that like as a viewer and as a fan, I brought a lot of baggage with me that I really tried to leave behind. Yeah. And, I, and at the end I was like, why am I trying to leave it behind? Like film is so personal. Why am I trying to like look at it from an unobjective point of view. Yeah. I am objective. Yeah. And I didn't like it. So, yeah. I'm cool with that. I'm going to add it to the to the films that I'm never going to watch again. I gave it <laughs> one and a half stars. So. Nice. Never going to watch it again. Um, and so it wasn't half a star. That's right. Yeah. It bumped up. I mean, Anna Diarmas is really good and there's some interesting shots in it. But, on the whole... Two thumbs down. Yeah. Um, and then with it being November, I've been ticking off some more film noirs. So I watched Johnny O'Clock. Silly name. Great movie is what I'm going to call it from now on. Um, just your regular kind of film noir with Dick Powell um, and Lee J. Cobb, who is just a powerhouse. Anything When Lee J. Cobb shows up, normally he's not on the poster or the, like... You know, he's not the main person in the film, but whenever he shows up, I'm like, I'm happy. This is going to be a good movie. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's just um, a, a woman ends up being found dead, and it's kind of like a, 
you know, who did it cop story with a guy in the middle who's also trying to work it out. Typical noir fare, but um, but yeah, one I hadn't seen before and I really enjoyed it. So don't go watch Blonde, go watch Johnny O'Clock. Um, and it. then, because we watched Touch of Evil, yeah. I went back and watched The Third Man, which I hadn't uh-huh. seen since I was at university. So I must have been, what, 12 years ago? Probably. Um, and I can't remember liking it very much when I first saw it. I think I didn't get it. When yeah. I first saw it, and I, it's one of those films that, like, I keep seeing people like, Third Man's great." And I'm like, "I don't like that film." Um, so I went back and watched it again, and yeah, I mean, I was wrong. It was good. Yeah, <laughs> I had a good time <laughs> with it. I understood it a lot more. Um, the camera work is just incredible. You know, the setting's really great. The use of shadow is beautiful. Um, yeah, I, I really had a good time with it. So, Sweet. Yeah. Never the seen third it. man. Um it is streaming on um there's a BFI player that we that you can download from like Apple TV. Um okay. and I got like a two week free trial with it and it's on there. So nice. There's like lots of British films. So yeah. yeah. It's um it's free if anyone wants to do that and give it a try. Sweet. But yeah. But that oh, was man. kind of preparing me for our feature presentation. Do, 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 yes. do. We are watching, or we have watched, and we are discussing Touch of Evil from 1958. Um, the letterbox summary and synopsis is the strangest vengeance ever planned. When a car bomb explodes on the American side of the US-Mexico border, Mexican drug enforcement agent Miguel Vargas begins his investigation, along with American police captain Hank Quinlan, when Vargas begins to suspect that Quinlan and his shady partner Menzies are planting evidence to frame an innocent man, his investigations into their possible corruption quickly put himself and his new bride, Susie, in jeopardy. Bum bum bum. So this is the film that we're watching, Touch of Evil. Um, And like I said, it's a film that Brandon and I both have not watched before but we have come close isn't that right brendan yeah i mean it's a film that you hear about all the time you know mm-hmm. when once you're like i'm into film or i'm a filmmaker you know you'll hear this i mean obviously orson wells you'll just hear about all the time especially yeah. citizen kane they're like most every film critic out there is like it's the greatest film ever um <laughs> You know, so Orson Welles is uh, obviously just a very highly talked about filmmaker. Yeah. And Touch of Evil is is just, you know, pop pops into conversations and stuff. Um, but, you know, other than knowing the name and the director, I I'd, I'd never really knew much about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's one of those films that's like, as a filmmaker, I'm like, yeah, I probably should watch that at some point, but you know, there's a million things yeah. like that. Yeah, of course. So what was your initial thoughts when you watched the film? Well, uh, first of all, I love this film. This was an amazing film. Uh, but before we like really dive into it, mm. I got to talk about the brown face. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, very uh 
there. <laughs> um, it is but a shame. I, I did have a question because it's, it's um, you know, like Charlton Heston, he's a, he's a really good actor. You know, mm-hmm. he, he's really good in this movie. He doesn't do a Mexican accent, but he's playing a Mexican character. Um, but at the time, you know, this is 1958, was there a law against like a person of color uh, being in a relationship with a white woman on screen and like kissing and that kind of stuff? So I don't think there was a law. It just wasn't the norm. And I think that yeah. people kind of would have reacted to it in the wrong way. Because uh, the original source material that it comes from, the Susie character was supposed to be Mexican. Mm-hmm. And the and Vargas, I guess his name wasn't Vargas, but he was supposed to be from the American side. Oh, um, interesting. But Orson changed it. Um and I think that that probably would have, I mean, that would have worked. But knowing, you know, not knowing, but from what I've, I know about Orson Welles, he probably did this to evoke feelings from the yeah. audience. Because I yeah. think if you had seen, I mean, Hedy Lamar was huge, you know, in the 40s and stuff. And she, was, she wasn't Mexican, but she was, you know, there was a lot of foreign female stars that kind of grew to prominence. So seeing... A Charlton Heston type with a um, with a Mexican lady wouldn't have been taboo. It would have just been like, okay, cool. He's like, you know, he's wooed her. Yeah. But this is something that hasn't that you don't see very often. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I was trying to think because I was like, okay, so if Charlton Heston wasn't there, who would have played Charlton Heston's character? And I can't think of many, if any, um, Caesar Romero. Cesar Romero, yeah, he would. I mean, he has got the mustache, and I know that Cesar <laughs> Romero loves his mustache. But yeah, it would have been hard to to have cast because Hollywood was so closed to that to any you know to anyone breaking through that wasn't white. So. Yeah, well, I mean, at one point it was. I feel. I mean, I could just be wrong. I like, like I said earlier, I'm. I don't. I never had formal history lessons, but. Mm. <laughs> um. At one point, there was like laws against you know, like yeah. mixed mixed relationships in films, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure the Hayes Code probably had some kind of caveat in there that was like can't show you know interracial relationships. Yeah, because any marital, you know, you could, they couldn't kiss for I think it was like longer than four seconds because mm-hmm. it was considered obscene. So, and they had to you know had to show couples in separate beds. Yeah. Um, if they were married, so things like that. I'm, I, you know, I am pretty sure that there would have been, you know, no interracial relationships here on the screen. Heck, it was still two years until we saw a flushing toilet. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, we've we've got a long way yeah. to go from this point <laughs> for things to be normalized. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, we don't have to talk about that anymore. I just wanted to bring it up right off the bat. The last thing I want to say yeah. about it is that Charlton Heston did say that the fact that he didn't do a Mexican accent was his biggest regret. Well, it's not my biggest regret, that's for sure. No, I'm very thankful <laughs> that he didn't. Um, and I think that like when he speaks Spanish, I don't know if it's even him, but it seems it's it. That's the only part that seemed believable to me. Ah, uh, it didn't sound good to me. Okay, I mean, but that's fine. <laughs> I've I've never you know been around, you know. 
we didn't teach it in school and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, to me, it was very Charlton Heston <laughs> memorizing <Yeah>. lines. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> but I mean, he's he pronounced things like correctly. I mean, but he yeah. just he did like there was no accent at all, even when he was pronouncing. You know, yeah, when speaking yeah. In Spanish, but uh, yeah, it, but I mean, I I think it's better that way. You know, it makes it it at least makes it like okay, he's supposed to be Mexican. Suspension of disbelief. Yeah, you know, and whereas if he had done an accent, it would have just felt e- even more icky. Yeah, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, kind of like uh, Steiger and um duck you sucker you know that was just <laughs> yeah I, I think that once you've seen that um anything that isn't i don't know incredibly insensitive in terms of accents you know is, yeah it kind of slips by a little bit now but yeah. easier i should say <laughs> yeah goes so, down easier yeah yeah but you know besides that this film is <laughs> this film is incredible. Uh, you know, it starts off and it has this incredible opening shot. You know, that mm. is, you know, known as one of the greatest opening shots in cinema history. Yeah, it just goes on for so long and um, goes. I mean, I, they must have had just this ginormous crane. Um, yeah, that starts yeah. out. You know, the shot starts close up on this guy's hands holding this bomb, and then it, you know pulls out and then it goes above the the buildings and then back down in the streets and it picks up on different characters and follows people around it's a, it's a crazy opening shot that's just like kind of ahead of its time it seems like for this mm. this year 1958 yeah. um a lot of the the filmmaking of this movie feels does feel way ahead of its time yeah. Um it it feels it's like 15 years before everybody else. Yeah. I do want to get onto that cuz I know that there's a lot in there. Um but yeah with the with the crane shot to open the film um it it started off as them kind of mapping it out where they wanted to go and then they had to build a crane that would allow them to do the shot in one take cuz yeah. it's three and a half minutes is the time that the bomb is set for. Mm. Is the time that it kind of takes for us to get to that point, yeah. um, and Charlton Heston said that like everything was going fine, and like then they would get to the border agent, and the border agent would completely forget his lines every single time <laughs> because so much rested on him. And in the end, yeah. Smiles was like, "I don't care if you mouth it." He was like, "I don't like don't break character. Don't turn around and say, oh, 'I'm sorry, Mister Wells, I forgot my lines.'" He's like, "Just mouth it. We can add it post." So when you when we go back and watch it, you can see that like the sun's coming up a little bit in the distance because it uh, took them like all night to get yeah. the shot, um, which I find really funny. And then when you do watch it again, you can tell his lines are dubbed. Yeah, <laughs> he never like, like well, turns well. around. It's just yeah, and yeah. it's kind of louder than the than the natural <laughs> sounds around him, um, which That's I great. find really funny. But yeah, it's it's an incredible shot to open a film with. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. And then it, you know, it I will say that like the first 20 to 30 minutes of this movie kind of uh were a bit slow going for me. 
the yeah. first time watching it, I was like, it it was so dense all at once. Yeah. It was like so much information. I'm trying to like keep track of characters' names and what, like what the actual plot is. Like, obviously, we're trying to figure out who set this bomb off, but like, who is this other guy? Because like, you've got to be paying close attention, or you're gonna miss things, you know? Because yeah. they mention in the beginning that. Vargas is like a, de- a detective, a Mexican detective on you know the Mexican side of the border, and he's he's incarcerated this um, Grande brother, uh, mm-hmm. and and then you get introduced to this other, you know the the brother of the guy that he's incarcerated, but he's never met him, and you know the like all this there's just a lot going on, like a lot yeah. happening all at once, so. It made a lot more like I went back and watched it again, uh, and those those first thirty minutes after you know what's happened, it's like it just all makes sense, you know, yeah. it, and it yeah. and it goes down a lot easier. Um, but yeah, I I missed a lot the first time watching this film, but then you know after those first, I think it it also because the first thirty minutes is like the same night it's like the night the bomb goes off yeah. you're getting all this information um and getting introduced to these characters and trying to figure out what's going on and then uh by the time that the couple um Charlton Heston and Janet Lee get in the car and they're like driving off and it's the next day I was like oh finally yeah like we're somewhere else like something else is going on like finally yeah. like um of course that was just the first time I watched it. Like watching it again, I didn't necessarily feel like that, but um you know, and then I, I would like the the last I, I enjoyed the character stuff a lot more the second time I watched it, like the beginning yeah. and the middle. But the last forty five minutes of this movie are just like it just ramps up. Yeah. Um yeah. and is super um like on the set edge of your seat, like entertaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I had a great time watching this movie. Good. I, I think um, the the comparison I want to make, which I don't take lightly, is that I think it's, for me, it's going to be a new Vertigo. Um, mm, not in terms yeah. of like the stature of it, because Vertigo is my favorite film ever made. But the fact that the first time I watched it, I was like, that was fine. There's a lot in there I missed. So the second time I watched it, because I pretty much stopped, stopped the you know the film stopped, and I was like, I feel like I need to go and watch it again. I feel like I like yeah, I've missed it, you know. So I pretty much did watch. I watched it twice in like twenty four hours, um, mm-hmm. and the second time I came away and I was like, whoa, <laughs> yeah. like there's. I, I just want to go back and watch more. Like I want to spend more time with Quinlan. Like I yeah. just want to kind yeah. of be with these characters again because again. Like it's added to it, but next time I watch it, there's going to be more. There's going to be more and more and more and more yeah. to it that I'm going to have to keep peeling away. And that's yeah. how I feel with Vertigo. Every time I watch it, there's something new in there that I haven't noticed. And I think it's going to be the same for this. Yeah, I I, I can't imagine it will be. Uh, should we start talking about Quinlan? Yeah, because uh, we he, could do he, a whole hour on Quinlan. I mean, yeah, like uh, he... Uh, yeah, there was so much. Like the first time you watch it, you're just like, "Man, this guy is disgusting." <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, he's so 
I mean, it like Orson Welles just disappears into this mm-hmm. guy, and he's just like, you know, some of the time, the first time you're watching, you're like, what the hell is he saying? You know, because <laughs> yeah. he's just like, you know, what are you doing, Vargas? You know, yeah. it's just, uh, you know, he's just this char- He is this character. Um, and and I I still like enjoyed watching him. And, and I loved the ending of this movie because it it's kind of what you expect, but not exactly, you know, it's yeah. like when they're, when they're walking on the, um, on the bridge and he's like trying to record him and getting it, trying to get him to confess, you know, it was like, uh, in my head, I was like, well, he's just going to say it. Like, they're just going to get it on tape. Right. Like yeah. it, that's, that's how it'll end. But then it doesn't really like, that's just what I expected. But then they, I don't know. It just plays out so well. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, just all those moments of him, like you like washing the blood off his hands and the water and stuff like, um, it's so Shakespearean. That ending is just yeah. like the last scene in the Shakespeare play. Yeah. Yeah. You it know? really is. Yeah. Um, but then like going back and watching it the second time, I, I didn't even notice the the first time that he was like this alcoholic, you know, and yeah. then there's this whole thing, the, this backstory on his wife who was strangled. You know, I just have so many questions. I'm like tr- still trying to figure this character out. I'm like, yeah. okay, so he, is he, a, like, was he a good cop at one point? Like, or has he always been this bad cop? I mean, or you've like, got to assume, haven't you? I mean, so the second time I watched it, I watched it with a commentary because, like I said, there was so much in there. I was like, okay, I want to listen to a commentary and like have someone that has seen this a million times dissect it for me bit by bit. Yeah. And they were talking about the fact that, I mean, before we get to that, sorry, the, the, the bit I want to point out first is that when he dies, so Quinlan dies at the end, um, and we as the audience think that he's kind of fingered the wrong person. He's, you know, he's set this guy up, planted evidence to frame him basically just to get the win. Yeah. And then as soon as he dies, one of the characters is like, oh, and the guy that he had, you know, that he chose confessed. He did it. And you're like, yeah. whoa. Like, so my judgment of this character has been completely wrong. Because he he's not doing this for just to close the case. His instincts are bang on. Like he knows right. the whole way through. Like he knows that this guy did it. And he'll just stop at nothing to kind of to make him pay yeah so when we get that backstory about his wife and the fact that he couldn't like get the guy i think mm-hmm. they say like yeah, he yeah. let him slip that is just like incredible writing because yeah. you know that he's got the like he's got the intuition you know he knows without really knowing you know he i don't know it's it's weird he's a great cop but he's not a reliable well, he's a one. detective yeah he he's a good I think they even say that at one point. He's a great yeah. detective and he's not a great cop or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Or maybe mm-hmm. they say that about Vargas. I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> I know there's a line <laughs> like that in there. Or maybe it's the other way around. Yeah. But uh <laughs> but see, yes, yes, see it's like that makes some that makes some sense. Like I could I could see the case for that. But yeah. also what kind of guy who's been traumatized by his wife being strangled to death? then goes and strangles someone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, would that that not be like, would that not trigger that trauma? 
which makes mm. me wonder if he strangled his wife. Well, yeah, that's an extra layer. Yeah. You know, it's like maybe he's, he is a, like, he's like a really dirty cop and he like yeah. couldn't stand his wife. He killed her when he was in his twenties and now he's like just been this dirty cop his whole career. Yeah. I mean you that, know. yeah. I mean that scene where he does strangle, um, I forget the character's name. Um, Joe uh, Grandi. Joe Grandi. That's it. Uncle Joe. Um, that is, I mean, the whole, Janet Lee's whole arc in this is like horror adjacent. You know, it's yeah. so scary to me. Um, yeah. And that scene especially is like where it kind of, it tips over. You know, mm-hmm. he, he he just murders him in this room and then she wakes up with him like, bulge, with his bulging eyes kind of watching her over the bed because that's where yeah. he fell. It's It's honestly so creepy. But I think that the strangle like where he strangles him that's the end there's no coming back from that yeah that's how i read it like he's gonna you know he's crossed that line into before he was always trying to catch the bad guy and like would go to any means to do it and now he's like he's crossed the line to that other side yeah so it's only but he's also he's also picked alcohol back up because he was like he's he was like sober yeah They yeah. mentioned that, and then this guy like tricked him into drinking again, which I did yeah. not catch the first time. Yeah, and he goes back to uh, Tanner's. Is it Tanner or Tanya? Goes back to her whorehouse, and mm-hmm. um, he's there when they kind of come calling Sam. Yeah. He's kind of just gone back full into debauchery. Yeah. Um, He, I mean, there's more to it. So there's... So the reason that he walks with a limp and that he's got the cane is that he was shot in the leg, taking a bullet for his... His partner. His his partner. Yeah. So in the end when he's like, that's the second bullet I've taken for you, there's that extra layer as well. You know, and then that makes sense as to why his partner is so loyal to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole way through. Because you're like, why are you sticking up for this guy? You know, you're yeah, putting your yeah. career on the line to protect him. Um. But, I mean, there's so much to it. Like, not only is he getting these cases closed, you know. He's, with the, he's, he's closing the right. He's actually, like, getting the credit. Getting the right people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's that question of ethics of, you know, if he's getting the right person. Yeah. Does it matter if he's going about it the wrong way? Yeah, because there's plenty of, you know, corporate criminals in our world mm. today walking around just like, <laughs> "Quote unquote," following the law, you know. Yeah, exactly. That yeah. We can't get. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's I think what you know the beauty of this film is it it answer it it raises all of these questions yeah. that are are um, not easy to answer. Yeah, and there's a quote that I pulled from Wells himself that said that he believes films don't work if they're being preachy. Um, you show it as it is to get a response from the audience. Yeah. So he, at no point in this is he like, this guy is the bad guy. You know, because you think that's where he's going. You think that's what we're being shown is that he's just this unreliable. But at the end, you're like, I know he was, but was he as bad? You know, as that they were making out? You, do you know what yeah. I mean? It's It's hard mm-hmm. to, I don't know, it's hard to 
differentiate between good and bad by the end of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And the and the characters just add add all you know so many more layers because it's like obviously um, you know Quinlan is the guy who you know sees someone do wrong and he's like I'm gonna put them away yeah. for it you know whether I'm using the law or not yeah. and Vargas is a guy who's like no the law is the most important thing and we follow the law no matter if it lets criminals loose or not. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like the law protects criminals as much as it protects, you know, citizens. Yeah. Um, and then you got the partner Menzies who uh, is loyal to his partner, you know, and his friend, you know, it's, yeah. and, it, and, and, but then at the end he's like, he, well, I mean, it, like he he knows that his partner has crossed the line and murdered, uh, Grandy Uncle Joe. So he's yeah. like, you know, I think that's what lets him know, like, okay, well, my partner's a murderer. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, yeah, it's an incredible. I mean, even there's even lines in there that when you think about it, kind of add to it as well. Because he talks about when he throws the badge away, when he's being questioned by Vargas, he's like, you, you know, we said it at the top of the show that um, 30 years of dirt and crummy pay, like he's not even profiting from it. Yeah. You know, he's not like, normally you get dirty cops that are like doing it for the money. Yeah. You know, but you get the impression that like, he's not profiting. It's just like this, like this personal demon he's got around his neck yeah that he has to he has to close the case he has to find the culprit yeah put cost. them away no matter what because yeah you know he let that he let the guy who killed his wife get away yeah um yeah it, it's uh yeah it's a very it's a deeply layered movie yeah um you know and on top of like all of these moral and ethical questions that you ask yourself it's like it's a ride you know yeah, you've got yeah. like you know some intense stuff going on like the scene with uh janet lee um the ongoing yeah. scene of her in the hotel room and you don't know if all these guys are gonna rape her or not and then you assume that they do because of the scene the way the scene is set up mm. and then they you know, like the they kind of hold that moment for a while. Like you don't yeah. know. And yeah. then you've got, um, Charlton Heston coming back to the hotel, trying to find her and it's all dark. And then you've got the, um, hotel clerk who's, yeah, you know, yeah. Doesn't know what's going on. And, um, yeah, I mean that whole moment was just so intense until you find out, you know, but then you don't really get any sense of relief because she's like trapped in this room. Yeah. And Quinlan shows up <laughs> like all this stuff. So it's just, uh, and then you've got Charlton Heston busting in the bar and like punching yeah. dudes out, which was just such a great like release. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause it feels like you're just getting tighter and tighter the whole way. Uh -huh. So when he goes in and breaks some stuff, you're like, oh, okay, he's like, he's taking action finally. Yeah. Um, it made me laugh because it made me think of Rear Window, how 
we've got Charlton Heston, who's got a very attractive new wife and just will do anything to not consummate that marriage. <laughs> you know, he's like, and I think, you know, someone even says, oh, you're not with your wife on her wed- on your wedding night or whatever, on your honeymoon. Um, uh-huh. And he's just like, go to the hotel on your own. Okay, I've got to deal with this right now. This cannot wait. And it's yeah. like, it can. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, she is beautiful in this movie. I mean, and yeah. in Psycho. I mean, this, you know, this is just two years before that. And just mm-hmm. like, yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. And she's a strong character as well. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, it starts off and she kind of, she goes, gets taken to see Uncle Joe. And it's not like, a, like, get me out of here. There's a really good line where she's like, like, I may be scared of you, but my husband's not. And he's going to come and he's going to get you. And it's like the way that she says it is still like strong in a way. She's like yeah. intimidating them. Um, and then even in the hotel room, she's like, you know, where they're shining a torch in through a window. Oh, and she yeah, like turns it on and yeah. she's like, can you see better now? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know. She like takes a bulb out and then she throws it. <laughs> yeah. And then Charleston Hessen's like, can we turn the lights on? And she's like, no, I threw the bulb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's, I mean, I think that, Hers is a really interesting character as well. I think that that's, um, you know, it it does, you know, she has to be in peril at some point to to get Charlton Heston worked up. It's definitely not all the way, like, you know. No. um, Progressive or whatever, but it's not, um, yeah, she's not a total damsel in distress the whole time. She's got more to do than, than, you know, anybody did in Sin City. Yeah. Well, I don't know. There's a lot of powerful women in that movie, but I know what you. you know. I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. More than um, Jessica Alba, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she grew up. She fell down. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I do. Yeah. Janet Lee's great. Um, Charlton Heston, I didn't like very much. Yeah. I think he. I. I don't like you said. I don't know whether it's the the representation and the portrayal um yeah or it's his acting but he always seemed a bit wooden to me he didn't quite mm. seem you know when you've got a, a scene against Orson Welles who like you said just disappears into this character completely Orson Welles just I mean Charlton Heston just seems a little class place or something yeah 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 um but I don't yeah. think it takes anything away. I think that maybe it's just because he shares so many scenes with Wells that he never he's never going to come off better. Yeah. You know, he's never going to be the character that you're interested in to go and watch it again. Yeah. <clears throat> so. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, he, you know, it wasn't like an Oscar winning performance or anything, but, you know, I like him. You know, I like yeah. Charlton Heston. I mean, I grew up watching uh, the Ten Commandments and Ben Hur and and uh, yeah. you know to me he's just the essence of like classic cinema. Yeah, you know, and mm-hmm. this is such a good, like such a good, well-made classic film that if I feel like he just, you know, he it just makes sense, like he just fits. But I would have preferred, you know, a Mexican actor. Me too. Yeah, I think that's probably the only the only downside. Um, it's just that lack of representation, you know. Yeah. Because um, we do have other characters that are Mexican, you know, throughout the film. 
it's just a shame that they're not portrayed very well. Yeah. You know. Um yeah, it's like all the other Mexican characters are um criminals and yeah. a part of this gang and um and then even Joe Grandi, he's like yeah, like not only is he a, a bad character, like not a bad character, but a bad uh like an evil character, yeah. but he's also just like a fumbling doofus. Buffoon. Yeah. Yeah. He's like following the wrong guy in the car. <laughs> yeah. You know, for like yeah. half the film. And his like toupee falls off and like Yeah. Um Yeah. It's yeah. just yeah. <laughs> um I know you said just as we started that it was like ten years ahead of its time in terms of like the camera work and stuff. And I do want to go back to that because I feel like that the opening shot that we've talked about, the crane shot, is is very classical in its composition and the way that it's set up. And then we get the explosion of the car, and all of a sudden we switch to like low shots and like handheld uh-huh. cameras like moving fast and like yeah. these grotesque close ups. You mm, know? Yeah. And it just automat it just like like you say, it just progresses. It's like American independent cinema of the seventies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly kind of what I was thinking was that um the seventy like seventies films for me it's always that moment in time where cinema became what it's currently is and what it's been yeah. for the last fifty years. You know, where, yeah. you know, um just more like yeah, more experimental angles and you know, just doing whatever you want with the camera. You know, like yeah. there's still rules, but like there's kind of not and and the light I think the lighting is better, you know, in the seventies yeah. and stuff. But the I mean this is a noir and the and the lighting is still amazing. Um oh, the shadows. Yeah, like um it it's just yeah, it, you know, especially with the, the camera work like you're saying, it just feels so um ahead of its time. I mean the yeah. the sh- the shots um whenever he is strangling Uncle Joe. Yeah. Like the way that that is edited and and sequenced together like they just make it look so um brutal. Mm. You know, without even really showing you anything. There's like a quick second of just like Orson Welles' face like coming right at the camera. Yeah. Um and and like you said like even in the beginning there's just so many like low angles where you know Wells's face and body just like fills this whole portion yeah. of the screen um yeah. in a way that you don't really see in in older no. films, you know. Yeah. Especially in the 50s, you know. Yeah. Um yeah, I agree. I mean, there's the I think about the scenes, you know, in the lift when they're going, mm-hmm. um, yeah, when they're going up, and you just you feel like so tight in that area. Yeah, you know, I don't know how they got a camera in there. Yeah, I mean, it must have been a handheld, I assume, for it to fit in with them all. Well, they had this built. They might they might have had like a, you know, you don't see the other side of the elevator, yeah. so they might have had to build something. Yeah, but but that's you know that. That brings up another point um, of just like when you're hanging out in the elevator, you're also just hanging out a lot with these characters, Mm -hmm. you know, whereas like the way that other films at that time were put together, you know, you're they're just like pieced together 
and then you know nice little or, yeah. or like there these wide shots almost like sitcoms or whatever um yeah but it's you, like, you would never like do it you, i'll tell you why i did it yeah here's yeah. a four minute monologue <laughs> yeah but you never yeah. just like hang out with these characters it almost feels like you know a tarantino film at that point because it's like you're just hanging out with these characters while they're talking and they don't realize the other character is like listening and like yeah you know they're just like you're just hanging out you know? yeah yeah it, yeah it's incredibly progressive and it's just i mean i think that it was well received i know that the studio like they they were happy with the rushes every day and then when they saw like the you know a finished cut they hated it and tried to bury it um kicked Orson Welles off the lot and wouldn't let him kind of come back and they kind of re-edited it a little bit yeah um and added some extra scenes and kind of shot around him and then um he wrote a, them a letter after he had seen it and was like hey it's it's not all bad but please like and it, i think it was like a 40 page memo and he was yeah. like, just, this is what we need to keep. This is like what I was going for. Try and keep this up, blah, 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 blah. Um, which is a real shame. And you can tell, like like I said, I listened to the commentary and they kind of point him out, but there's a, there's like two or three scenes that you could tell had been reshot afterwards because it doesn't necessarily have the same style. It's gone yeah. back to classical. You know, it's kind of like, it's a medium shot of two characters talking to each other. Mm. You know, it's not yeah. like underneath them as they're kind of getting closer and like whispering in each other's faces, you know, it's like, it's like you were saying it's disposition is what they, it's just them talking about stuff. Yeah. Um, which does feel odd, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. It's, it, it's crazy that that, that, yeah, that that happened. Like this, this film is so incredibly well crafted. Yeah. That it just, uh, it's, yeah, it's it's crazy that the that the studio would do that. I mean, so yeah. when this film was released, I mean, obviously, like, was the version that we watched? I'm guessing was not the version that was released in 1958. Yeah, so there was a theatrical version, which I believe is the one that's out there. It's like a hundred. It's like an hour and thirty six minutes, thirty nine minutes. Okay, and then I think there's like a recut version that they put out that's like an hour and 30 minutes maybe and then in 2008 these two film historians kind of took Orson Welles's letter and like rebuilt it so like edited it the, the two things together so that it would be kind of how he envisioned the final thing and that's like an hour and 50 minutes yeah and that's the and version so, you watched right the one hour 50 no I watched the because I had a look on um because I was very well I didn't want to watch and like talk about things that kind of I don't know, that wasn't out there. Yeah. So I, I had a look on Apple TV and I saw that like the one was an hour and 38. So I watched that one. Oh, uh, okay. I watched so the one that was an hour and 50. Dang. Okay. <laughs> so, there's a, so you, pro yeah. So I need to go and watch that one now. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm like trying to think of what like scenes you would be talking about where they're, you know, cause nothing really stood out to me. Mm. Everything felt right. So, yeah. So when, I mean, once there's two scenes in particular. So the first one is when, in that first half an hour, when Vargas goes back to the hotel after Janet Lee's had her first confrontation with Uncle Joe, uh -huh. and they're in the hotel lobby talking. That is a scene that was shot after Orson Welles was kicked off, 
because he okay. didn't want them to like really meet again until they left the next morning. He was like, you don't need to know they've had this conversation. Yeah. And the second one is he after Vargas accuses Quinlan and Quinlan throws his badge. Vargas is coming out and he talks to the other guy and he's like, do you still, do I still have any credibility left? Can you show me the other cases? And he's like, yeah, sure, I can show you. And they go down the stairs together. Okay, that that scene was in there. Yeah, so that yeah. scene, so they were the ones that were shot afterwards. Um, okay. That scene, I think Orson Welles said that it wasn't terrible because the shadows were really good in it. So he's yeah. like, yeah, you can keep that, that's fine. But, you know, hmm. there's a lot of stuff in there that the studio kind of chopped up. But the film, I mean, it is it still did well, right, when it came, when it was released? Yeah, I mean, I think people instantly saw that it was fresh and different and, you know, complex. Um, and yeah, it did really well. It was a shame that the studio just didn't really care about it anymore. They didn't really want to be associated with it. So Yeah, that's so wild. Yeah. Um, and let me tell you, I mean, since I've watched it, I watched, there's a really great, like, 40-minute interview with Orson Welles on YouTube with Michael uh -huh. Parkinson, who was like an English um talk show host from the 70s when he did a show all the way up until early 2000s i think but there's like a great 40 minute interview with him and they don't necessarily talk a lot about his own movies but i could like i could listen to him talk all day yeah he just everything he says is like profound i don't know how he does it <laughs> um he's it's a incredible. cinema god it's incredible and it's just i'm just like yeah more awesome all the time yeah, I I just like you know, I you know, maybe maybe he's just more of an adult filmmaker because yeah. I, I've never really gotten into him like this before. You know, no. I I've see, I saw Citizen Kane when I was like god, I don't know, like 18 or 19. Yeah. And I I didn't get it. You know, I was just yeah. like what like this is the greatest film ever made. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I I do remember, you know, I rewatched that uh, two or three years ago, because you and I had talked about that. We talked about doing that film for our first episode of our podcast before we, we even did. we before yeah. we even decided that it was going to be Film Church Radio and all that. And yeah, I went back and watched it, and uh, you know, it it's still I don't I don't know if I would say that it's the greatest film ever made, but that like there's obviously a great filmmaker there making yeah. the film and yeah. Orson the thing that stood out to me the most I remember when I rewatched it was his performance it was like man this young guy is just like embodying this character so well yeah even as an old man you know and he's just this young dude yeah I feel like it always comes top of the list when you poll like filmmakers and I feel part of it is just because he was like a boy, like he was 26 and he wrote, directed, starred in this film. I think the filmmakers themselves, it's like, I wish when I was 26, I was making something this profound yeah. and like ingenious, yeah. you know, because I know I watch it. And I'm just like, I don't like, I still don't know how they did shots. I can't mm -hmm. work it out. Yeah. And this is a film that's nearly a hundred years old. Yeah. It, it's mind-blowing um but i think touch of even i mean citizen kane kane is really good but okay i'm not this is going to sound really bad but i think we've rewatched. i think once you've watched it you know you know 
what it's about. Yeah. You know. Um, whereas Touch of Evil, I don't know. And there's so many like, layers that you yeah you, and it's yeah. not a bad thing it's like i want to go back because i know that there's more to it yeah yeah it's incredible yeah man yeah it's yeah really good mm-hmm. i need to go watch the one hour 50 cut of it now i know <laughs> i felt i really should have texted you because i was i was so close to being like okay which which cut are you watching but i didn't want to confuse things <laughs> so yeah. i just went with the one that was streaming but you have it on dvd right or you have it on blu-ray mm-hmm. yeah does it uh is it a criterion or what 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 do you have um so it's an english masters of cinema it's it's pretty similar to criterion i guess yeah. not as expansive um, yeah the numbers but yeah it, i mean it has all three versions on there okay nice so i just you know so cool. yeah i've got it there waiting and yeah. I need an excuse to go back and watch it within the next few days. Now you have one. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else, Brandon, that we want to talk about this film? Just looking at my notes here and like, yeah. you know, this the second time watching it, like, well, the first time watching it, when, after he um, strangles Uncle Joe and he leaves the room and the shot just gets close up on the sign that says, stop, forget anything. Yeah. Like, I didn't get why that was shown the first time and the second time. I was like, oh, he left his cane. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just so such a, like, brilliant little piece of filmmaking there. Yeah. Like, it, um, it, again, and, like we said, it's one of those films that I don't feel like anything is consequential. Yeah. Inconsequential, I should say. Anything is inconsequential. Everything means something. Yeah. Um, And just the, the character that Orson Welles plays, I feel like is just one of the great classic portrayals of all time. Like he's the, he's the kind of guy that I've met before. Yeah. You know, he's just full of BS. And like every time you have, every time you correct him or have something to say, like he's just very quickly has an answer. Yeah. You know, and it's a BS answer. You know, he's full of BS, but you can't, challenge him because he believes his own bs yeah you know those are the hardest people to challenge because they believe yeah. their own mm-hmm. lies yeah he's got to be one of my most intriguing characters i've ever seen <laughs> yeah like i just i'm just mesmerized by him i'm just like who is this person i yeah. want to know more you know <sighs> yeah yeah what a film. Yeah, what it was a great. film. Awesome. Well, now we're going to guess what the other person rated it on Letterboxd. Um, I think we've probably got a good idea. But, <laughs> I think um, so. Yeah. I, I think that, I mean, I'm just going to cut the crap. I think you um, you rated it five stars. I think you rated it five stars. You're right. I mean, of course. The first <laughs> time I didn't, it was the rewatch that tipped it. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think same for me. I mean, it was I mean, it was really good still the yeah. first time I watched it, but then watching it the second time I was like, "Oh, oh, oh." Yeah. Like Yeah. Yeah, it was just crazy. Yeah, man. Yeah. Masterpiece of cinema. Agreed. Uh, agreed. Um, 
no pressure brandon what are we going to be watching next week <laughs> well i feel like i'm i'm i might have picked another one because uh i know you've seen it before and i know Ooh. that you've rated it already on your letterbox oh and god. i know how much you love billy wilder oh my god but you know when i was like uh, <laughs> when i was like going through <laughs> um letterbox at like looking at film noirs i was like you know i haven't seen most of um these older films like i've seen a lot of older films but not yeah. as much as you by any means i'm like clicking on all these films i'm like lewis has seen that lewis has seen that <laughs> lewis has seen that <laughs> like all the top film noirs of all time yeah. um so it was gonna be hard to find something you hadn't watched so i didn't even try <laughs> <laughs> Um, I picked Sunset Boulevard from 1950, yes. Yes. <laughs> which I've happy. never, I've never seen. So, and it looks oh good. Like it's, the poster looks cool. You know, it's got a, you know, some celluloid on the front and it says Sunset Boulevard, a Hollywood story. Love a good Hollywood story. And Billy Wilder is, uh, an incredible filmmaker who I would like to, um, see more of his films i mean we did an episode on the apartment and that yeah. film was so good i loved watching that for the first time with you and yeah so i thought this might be good good to to wrap up noir vember oh, man i am so excited to talk about this film it is a masterpiece but more on that next week we're going to talk yeah. about it in depth next week right. so join us then to hear our thoughts on Sunset Boulevard. Um, I, that brings us to the end of the show. Um, you can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Film Church Radio, um, and you can follow us individually on Letterboxd. Brandon is at Salmon Scope, and I am at Walker Lewis 3007. Um, keep up with what we've been watching in real time. How many times will I log this film in the next week? You'll be able to find out if you go and follow me. Um, we also have all our back episodes streaming on all good podcast platforms. Please leave us a rating and review so we know if you like the film, if you didn't, and what we pick for us to watch in the future. We are probably going to get to the point soon um, where we're going to need some recommendations. Ben and I are going for our watch list at pretty rapid fire. So if you have anything that you want us to watch, get in touch, let us know, and uh, hopefully we'll pick it in the future. Um, but all that's left to say, Brandon, is... Come on, read my fortune. You haven't got any. What do you mean? Your future is all used up. Well, on that note, I guess I better say my prayers. Amen. Amen. Very softly done. (laughs) See you next week, everyone. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye.